You know, when I, when I got into this, I was a child. I, I've been in publishing since I was 15 years old. And, you know, uh, I had professors that said, you know, a real writer will do anything not to have to sit down in that chair. They'll look for any reason not to have to sit down in the chair. But at the end of the day, you have to. And it took me having those positive influences in my life to sit down in that chair and really get down to it. Welcome to the Studio Break Podcast. I'm your host, David Linaway. For today's 182nd episode, I'm pleased to share this interview I had with John Dorsey while we were both artists in residence at Osage Arts Community back in May. Again, this conversation kind of took place right after a big storm took out all the power, so kind of gives you a little bit of a heads up in terms of where we're at when we started this conversation. But John is a screenwriter and poet. He's worked on a number of different projects, polishing up dialogue for movies, working for for Rodney Dangerfield and completing the uh, screenplay for Missouri Loves Company, which was filmed in June on the farm at Osage Arts Community in Bell, Missouri. And so we'll talk all about that project. And it will take a second to remind artists that they should check out Osage Arts Community. Again, there's going to be a link right in this very post so you can find out information on applying and what the residency entails. But again, you'll find that it's a wonderful place where you are free to make work for a period of time. Again, that's open to all visual artists as well as composers and writers and sculptors and painters and you name it. And once again, you're provided uh, housing, a wonderful space and community to make work. So, once again, please check it out, Osage Arts Community, and they are taking applications for the next year that are due September 1st, so get your application in today. And speaking of applications, I would encourage all visual artists that are interested to apply to Studio Break's 2017 Pro Competition. Once again, open to all artists that are currently out in the world and making their work. This year, we're collaborating with Bill Conger of Heartbreaker in Peoria, Illinois. He is the curator and artist that runs that space, and he'll be selecting three artists to appear on Studio Break, as well as one artist for a solo exhibition. And I will also be doing a video interview with that artist. So again, it'll be a a pretty cool solo exhibition slash interview for the winning artists as well as an audio interview for the podcast so once again go to studiobreak.com look on the left sidebar for the pro competition link and find out all the information there to apply of course we are on social media so please follow us there you can like our facebook page you can follow our twitter account that's at studio break on twitter and also studio underscore break on instagram and again we're just new there so please follow us on instagram All right, announcements are done. Here is our interview with John Dorsey. Stay tuned. Welcome to Studio Break. John Dorsey, how are you doing? I'm I'm just fine. I'm just fine. Again, we're all camped out around a table without power, kind of wandering, looking for some kind of streaming service, because it seems like life is, uh, I don't know about streaming, but... uh, Right now, this is our only contact with the outside world. <laughs> so again, um, I know that we uh, talked a while back. I think you've been here for, what, 14 months? Uh, roundabout. Yeah. Yeah. I'd like to know more about that history. So you're from... Uh... I uh, Well, my dad was in the military, so we kind of bounced around a lot. 
but if I claim a hometown, it's a little town outside of Pittsburgh uh, called Greensburg, Pennsylvania. It's mm-hmm. about like 40, 40 minutes outside of Pittsburgh. Again, you have kind of like a huge, diverse kind of background. So I'm, I'm curious, as a, as a kid, were you prone to, what were you prone to doing with your spare time? Um, you know, I, I was prone to reading a lot and I would spend a lot of time in my bedroom and my father would try to ground me, but it wouldn't work cause I didn't want to go outside anyway, <laughs> which used to make him really angry. So <laughs> you're going to go outside and do chores. Yeah. <laughs> you're going to go sit in that sunshine. But, uh, and well, and then later when I, as I got a little older, when I was 12 or 13, I kind of found movies too. And I won't say that that never replaced the reading, but they kind of went hand in hand and they've both been really important as to the work I do now. In terms of movies, especially I'm curious as a, as a terrible movie buff, I say, because I'm sure there's people that have much better tastes than I do. What, what kind of things did you gravitate towards? Um, you know, when I was like 11 or 12 at first, I'd watch a lot of horror movies and I'd go over to my grandmother's house because at my house, you weren't allowed to rent horror movies, but my grandma would rent just about anything you asked her for. Mm-hmm. I actually think she's the first person I saw the movie Basic Instinct with, <laughs> just because she didn't know like what it was about or anything. She's like, oh, look at that. We'll just rent that. But no, I mean, the first movies I really took seriously were horror movies, and then I kind of went the whole other direction and veered into like art house cinema, like people like Hal Hartley and Nick Gomez that came out of... Uh, SUNY purchase in New York that made like $10,000 little movies. Mm-hmm. And so I, I guess then in, in thinking about it relative to high school, again, those, those developing years where yeah. everyone's filled with teenage angst, were you like, did you make movies then or did you write or read? Just I wrote, I wrote. The first job I ever had was designing printing press plates for t-shirt designs. Mm-hmm. Um, and I must've been about 15 years old. And um, I used that money to uh buy my first video camera and uh with the intention of making movies and so i must have had that camera for about seven or eight years before i actually used it and um it wound up being a good investment because even though it was an old camera by then i i made two uh short films with it um that played a lot of film festivals and stuff like that that was like in college or um, by the time I actually got around to making the films, uh, because I bought the camera in uh, summer 92. And by the time I actually got around to making the films, that would have been like uh, like the end of 1998 or the beginning of 1999. Mm-hmm. Well, and so in terms of that kind of like professional side of it, studying and all that academics, um, sure. did you pursue film then or writing? or? I always tell people I went to film school. I went to the University of the Arts in Philadelphia, and I have a BFA from there. But their program specifically was writing for film and television. Um, now, the instructors I had never really got down to the television end of anything. Mm-hmm. And I don't really feel like I learned anything in that regard. It was, it was very much geared toward film. Interesting. Was there any guidance in terms of thinking about how you make a living at this? Because, again, I'm coming at it from like a visual art standpoint where it seems like people are like – you know, you go on and then you, you teach or something, you know what I mean? Like to try to make a living at it. I mean, I'm, I'm curious, like, I don't know what kind of things were you interested in and was there like a real direction in terms of how you could turn this into a living or. Yeah. I've always been uh, a bit naive and I always thought, well, I'm just going to make a living at it. I don't think about not also like, um, the bulk of the instructors in that program had were or had been working professionals. Mm-hmm. 
Um, and the gentleman who was kind of like a mentor to me was a, was a writer named Charlie Papura who wrote the movie Heaven Help Us with Andrew McCarthy and Kevin Dillon. And he wrote uh, Satisfaction with Julie Roberts and Justine Bateman. And he very much, he had a cap, real capitalist take on it. He was, he was an artist. He definitely was an artist, but he was in it to make money. Um, and he liked to tell us, I just remember him saying, I made $20 million between 1983 and 1987. I don't have any of it. And it was one of the funniest. That's crazy. But he really was, uh, he was a great instructor. He uh, was the kind of guy that if you were on the right path and he could lead you in the right direction, he would. And then he would also use his professional contacts to uh, try to help you make a living, which, you know, those are... Those are the best instructors if you have the innate ability, the ones that will actually help you along in the path. And I, I was fortunate enough to have a few of those. And so did they kind of, in that mode, kind of like set you up with like, you know, production assistant or, um, you know, <laughs> mopping floors? Or? Well, Charlie, Charlie submitted my screenplay out for me okay. that I wrote when I was in his class. And he showed it to agents and he brought a producer in to talk to me. It was less about like... Uh, learning from the ground up, like a production assistant job. He would, he never helped me with anything like that, but he was like, you're a writer, so let's get the writing out. And he just tried to put me in touch with good people who uh, might see some value in what I was doing. And so what were like some of the, I guess, first projects after, after you know, finishing up there? Or where, where did you wind up going? It's, you know, it's interesting. I worked, I did dialogue polishes on a lot of big Hollywood movies where they would just need you for like a week or two. Mm-hmm. But the project that really consumed me for a long time, I wrote a script called Dream Lover that is still unproduced, um, that is about a guy who discovers that he only exists as a character in his girlfriend's dreams. Mm-hmm. And um, I wrote that with, with Charlie's guidance when I was in that program. And eventually, Robert Downey Jr.'s father, Robert Downey Sr., uh, attached to direct it. And Paul Thomas Anderson, who made Boogie Nights, was going to be the producer. And Julie Roberts had signed on to star in this movie. Um, and we were about an inch away from actually making it. And this would have been um, like 2003, 2004. It was all of us and a producer from New York named Ned Stewart, who owned a company called Langstein Films. Just at the last minute, Julie Roberts decided that it was too small of a movie for her to do at that time. So everything kind of fell apart and I've spent the last like 10 years trying to like still get that movie made while working on other things. And it's again, maybe a different uh, scenario now, you know, like, again, I think I might've mentioned to somebody here. I mean, it's crazy to think like when I was going to college, like it seemed like independent movies, you could make a movie for a million dollars and you know, they were doing that all the time, especially like odd movies with like Steve Buscemi. I want to say, like, (laughs) I remember seeing like, I don't know, like trees lounge. I don't, sorry, totally random, but I don't know if you ever seen that. It's a great movie. It's a great movie. That was actually his directorial debut. Yeah. 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 But I think about that time where, you know, it's super possible. And now it's like guardians of the galaxy 18 and yeah, you when know. you when you look at what's on the multiplex, if there's even a movie theater in your town, it's definitely Guardians of the Galaxy, Kong Skull Island, uh, stuff like that. You know, I'm you and I've talked a bit, and you know, I'm fortunate right now that I'm about to have a movie made that's a really tiny movie, which is a, a rare thing in this world anymore. Sure, sure. 
Well, and so I guess kind of thinking about it relative to like a timeline then. So you've been, you were working on this project that kind of fell through. Where were you living? I mean, were you still out of Philadelphia? Um, I was going between Philadelphia and um, Northern California for a long time. I was in um, Capitola, which is basically in Santa Cruz, Mm -hmm. you know, the area. And so how, again, how does one uh, make a living... um, in terms, I mean, again, you kind of talked about maybe like some aspects of like polishing dialogue or sure. writing scripts and stuff like that. But is it kind of like hobbling together, you know, uh, not scratch to get by through all these kind of random? Yeah, it sort of is. Uh, I mean, I did an interview a while back where they asked me if I made a living at one form of writing, and the truth is, I don't. I mean, it's um, it's a bunch of forms of writing that I kind of have to cobble together to make a living. I spent um, twelve years in the newspaper business. As um, celebrity interviewer, I was a columnist. I've been an editor. Um, I've interviewed everyone from like Ricky Lake to Ted Nugent <laughs> to two sitting presidents of the United States. Um, I'm a member of the National Press Club, and basically any form of writing I've had to do just to keep going in hopes that like I could get like some larger project made, like a movie. So, well, interesting. I mean, that's again pretty pretty diverse background and. I don't know. Is that something that you always like kind of pull from then in terms of like your projects, whether they're kind of like a pursuit of like a screenplay or something that's more like a more poetry or a spoken word or sometimes I mean, sometimes I think it informs like the characters you might write mm-hmm. just people that are willing to do just about anything they have to do to, you know, and, and like you and I talked about, I spent two and a half years um, in the employee of Rodney Dangerfield, who's one of the, was one of the sweetest kindest, generous men you ever want to meet. How did that come about? That came about because I emailed his company, uh, Dangerfield Entertainment, which I believe still exists on paper. I think his son, Jason, runs that now. Uh, But his wife at the time, who's now his widow, Joan, replied. I I was shocked to get a reply. I I was like, I have this idea for Rodney. It would be a good movie. I'd like to talk to him. And uh, she was like, you know, just send us your idea. And, you know, if Rodney likes it, I'll have him get back to you. And not figuring he would actually ever get back to me. But he did. uh, First via email and then on the telephone. And then I wound up uh, working with him, like, in terms of, like, writing some jokes together. We wrote um, the script that I, idea that I initially came in with, we worked on as a movie. Um, And it would, that would have happened had he uh, not gotten sick Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. at the time. So... I've been extremely close to the brass ring, but haven't quite gotten there for one reason or another. So, well, I'm curious too in terms of that culture because you know we were talking about comedy quite a bit the other day. Uh, I mean, is that something then that you were able to kind of like access that world and kind of you know peel back the curtain to see how how that world exists? Or ah, uh, yeah, yeah, I got relatively close to that world. I actually thought about going into stand up myself at one point, and I love stand up comedy. And with Rodney, if you traveled with him, and I did a bit, he would really let you into his process. Your day was very regimented, which a lot of people wouldn't assume it would be. He would be on stage if he was doing stand-up till like 1130 at night, something like that. And then you would uh, you would go back to the hotel, wherever you were, and you would write from like 1130 or midnight until 330 in the morning every day. And I took a lot from that. I took a lot from that. Like my whole process, I write every day. And I kind of owe that to people like Rodney. And is that something that like 
and again, I know we're jumping everywhere, but is that something that changes over time or has that always been something that you kind of done in terms of like a schedule that you've developed? Uh, no, no, I was a disorganized, uh, you know, when I, when I got into this, I was a child. I, I've been in publishing since I was 15 years old and, you know, uh, I had professors that said, you know, a real writer will do anything not to have to sit down in that chair. They'll mm-hmm. look for any reason not to have to sit down in the chair, but at the end of the day, you have to. And it took me having those positive influences in my life to sit down in that chair and really get down to it. Now, I might finish a project, but before, when I was younger, it might take me like three or four years to finish it. But then at a point, when you start writing every day, you start knocking things out. The movie that I wrote most recently, I wrote in about nine weeks. And so I guess, because we're going to talk about that as well, but I'm, I'm curious then, where does, where does the like poetry aspect of that come into it? Is that something that you maintain throughout, or is that something that came by some other kind of experience? Um, the poetry came before, well, poetry came around along the same time as the screenwriting, I guess. And it kind of rotates when I feel like I can't write a movie, I'll write poems. Mm-hmm. And then when I feel like I can't write poems, I write a movie. So I'm always writing something. Um, I do have a hard time writing them both at the same time. My head just doesn't work like that. I've accomplished, I, I would say, if I'm being honest, I've accomplished a lot more as a poet than I ever have as a screenwriter. But, you know, I'm not dead yet. So, Well, let's take a second. We'll have a listen of outside influences. It's from a reading that you did here at the farm on Osage. And again, we can kind of give listeners an idea of what your, your poems sound like. And um, again, it's from Harvey Corman, Harvey Corman, Harvey Corman. And it came out this year. And then we can jump back to some of the other writing projects. Outside influences. Enclose yourself. Pray they still love you. I hear them gnawing on whatever seems like a bone to them. Reiterate marrow, what the total finally cost. Move the lamp closer. Let me clarify a few dilemmas. Outside, all the influences cut each other because they can afford the health care tab. The savior couldn't be properly cast. They cut the character out of the mix. Watch the bombs go now. Watch them smile and pucker up. Outside, the influences are pulled over, frisked asked to show ID. In the end, nothing really influences any of it. Somehow it just occurs. If not in a vacuum, in something then resembling one. Remember cause and effect the vaudeville duo? You can find the recordings at swap meets. If Tennessee's Blanche truly depends on the kindness of strangers, she'll have to wait a while while they gauge the temperature. Some strangers are kind because it pays them to be. Some strangers are kind because they can't be anything but. Some strangers are deliberating whether it pays them to be kind or if it's something they cannot be. These strangers are congregating in the backyard. Some of them are very hungry. Some of them need a drink. Some of them claim they are not strangers at all. When the talk gets like this, it's best to be quiet not to say anything until your lawyer shows up. And if you don't have a lawyer, tell everyone simply that you are beyond and above the law, whatever subjective specific law they are arguing over, and show them your scars and smile. And when they come to lock you up, tell them it's bad for your health and you need to keep in shape. 
in order to fend all outside influences against any impending horror that would destroy them. So again, that was outside influences. And again, it's really interesting to, to think about even just the aspect of performance or, you know, kind of reading. Sure. Again, there's all these different hats that you have to kind of juggle. And it makes me even think about, you know, my own kind of juggling in terms of this podcast. I don't know, just some other aspect of what I do, you know. So, I mean, just like here, you know, landscape painting versus the other kinds of paintings that I do. It seems like you people kind of have to adapt to like different gears or different modes. So yeah. it's something that sounds like, you know, you're able to kind of figure out how to make it work for yourself, you know? Yeah, yeah. I I feel like, well, I've written short stories. I've written a couple plays for the New York stage, all with a certain amount of success. But really the through line of my life is either I'm writing poems or I'm writing screenplays. Those are the two things I would rather be doing. Is there anything like particularly that might I don't know, you could highlight for both of those. And I mean, again, I guess currently since you're, you're we're going to be, you know, they're going to be filming in, in sure. what, June here. I mean, I guess maybe it makes sense to talk about that, especially because that's got to be pretty satisfying. <laughs> oh, well, it is. It is. It's the culmination of like 25 years of thinking about what it would be like if someone actually filmed your movie. Now, like I've said, I worked in the theater and that, that feeling to hit, have someone just speak these words that you've written is exhilarating. It really is exhilarating. And the theater makes it a bit easier because it's a cost effective situation. Mm -hmm. But, you know, a movie, I mean, you can reach so, so many lives with the movie. And, uh, it's like my old professor always said, you know, when they decide they're going to make your movie, whoever it is, it's like you discovered the cure for cancer because, it is just so hard to get a movie made based on the economics. But this process really began with film, which is called Missouri Loves Company, uh, because my friend Christopher Lance, who I've known since 1999, called me and said, hey, I've got $50,000. Can you write a movie that I can produce for that amount of money, all-inclusive, which is not as easy as it sounds, and it was a difficult process because I had to think about uh, what I could include in the movie, what I couldn't include, what could we afford to do, what could we not afford to do. And then we did a casting session for the movie last summer in uh, on the East Coast. And uh, then some time went by, and it was kind of quiet, and I wasn't sure the movie was going to happen. But to my relief, like, we're we're just about ready to go here. It's uh, it's going to be fantastic, and I've been involved. And just about every part of the process, and I'm going to be there when they film the movie, which is unusual. Mm -hmm. uh, a lot of times the writer has, is told to stay home or they bring in a, an additional writer that's not as attached to the original material. But I would imagine, too, that's a interesting process in and of itself. I remember the Alexander Payne movie um, Sideways, which, again, sure. was maybe at the time like a really big impact on me. But, you know, like I could really relate to those characters. But I know that the, the writer for that, Rex Pickett, who I believe wrote the screenplay, I think there are certain aspects that he was really kind of unhappy. So, you know, like is there a certain process that you kind of have to just realize like this is, you know, I've gotten this part of it done and it's going to become its own thing or... Yeah, you have to be willing to like be adaptable to change because there are already changes in the draft from the draft that I originally wrote to what's going to be on the screen. 
And it, like I told the producer of my movie, I'm like, as long as my name's, uh, as long as I get that credit at the end of the day, <laughs> I'm okay with it, which makes me seem like, might make me seem like less of an artist mm-hmm. and more of a capitalist. But, you know, just to, after all these years to get to this point in the process, uh, just makes me, just makes me happy to be there. So, sure. I, I mean, I know about Rex Pickett's experience, and I think he actually was fired off of his own movie. <laughs> Uh, which is not uncommon. Um, I have been the guy that they have hired to uh, rewrite the original writer mm-hmm. uh, numerous times. Interesting. So. Well, and so I guess just to give us a little bit of glimpse without going into maybe uh, spoilers, uh, what, sure. what's, what's this film about then, or what's the story about? I, you know, I will. I'll tell you what it's about. And um, basically, you know, we all get those emails from the Congo or wherever saying that we just inherited like $50 million worth of gold bars Mm -hmm. or, you know, we're beneficiary of this or that. Well, the main character of this movie gets one of those emails and, um, drunkenly he gives the people his personal information Mm -hmm. and then his bank accounts get drained. So in order to get his money back before his girlfriend finds out, he has to go track the scam artist down. And that, that leads him from rural New Jersey to uh, backwoods Missouri and uh, it's quite a journey a lot of the film is just him getting from point A to point B and again so this is going to be filmed at Osage Arts Community in, in Bell Missouri ah uh, yes yes it will be um, when, he, when he gets to Missouri it will be filmed in Bell it's going to be filmed in Bell Missouri and Hackettstown New Jersey okay cool cool and again what's that like especially now that you've been you know a resident here for I mean, is that something that was initially in there or something that you just kind of like living here on, on the farm, kind of like like seeing like, oh, this could be the perfect spot for this? Or I, I kind of felt like after I'd been there that I found that this could be a good film location. And so when my friend basically came to me and said, well, we can do whatever movie you want to write, I kind of wrote Bell, the city of Bell, in almost as a character in the film. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and so I, I steered the production team in that direction. And I'm just fortunate because I actually have enough of a relationship with the producer that I had the input to do that. Mm-hmm. Uh, most producers would just uh, go and do what they want and uh, tell me to, yeah, twist in the wind. But uh, I'm very, very lucky. Well, and so are there people that you're excited to be working with then on this project that you didn't, again, four years ago, you're like, this is just an idea that I've been working through for years, but now that it's coming to, to being you know, completed... You know, obviously, I'm I'm glad to be working with Chris again, who's the producer on the movie. Um, we are working with um, a primetime television host named Julia Sun, um, and that's she's got a resume that stacks up. I mean, she's been in like 40 movies. Uh, we are going to briefly be working with Corey Feldman, who is uh, needs no introduction. Sure, infamous gentleman, who's also a sweet individual who. Uh, I have a brief history with him going – well, I, have a, I had a brief history with him going back probably about 15 years because um, I first met him when he was promoting a film in Philadelphia called uh, Bikini Bandits Go to Hell. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and so – but we really didn't get back in touch again until last year. So, yeah, I'm, I'm really looking forward to those things. We had been in talks with Hal Holbrook and he, he, both him and his grandson, Will Holbrook, who just had scheduling conflicts, but it's um, 
if they want to work with us in the future, I'm down for that too. Very so. cool. And again, so you've been here for 14 months roughly. Yeah. And I think we might have talked about this before, but you've also completed a number of writing projects in addition to obviously this this project. So yeah. what have those been about? And could you talk about that a little bit? Um, yeah, I've, um, well, I came here initially to complete, um, a book for Tangerine Press in London called Being the Fire. Um, and that was a book of a hundred pages of completely new original poetry written here in Bell, Missouri. And that was actually released in September of 2016. And that was really well received. And I also worked on a group project with my friend Charles Joseph from Montclair, New Jersey, called Old School Monsters, and that was released in January. And then uh, more recently, I did a collaborative project with Greg Edmondson called Shoot the Messenger that was put out by Red Flag Press in Pennsylvania. Um, and I also did a group project on Spartan Press based in Kansas City. And another thing for tangerine as well i believe but all of that all, all five projects that i can book projects that i can think of have been released since i've been at bell um and all the pretty much all the material was written in bell and i actually have contracts to write uh three more movies after this one too and that that happened while i've been here as well and again what i know it's a loaded question because it might mean something for everyone but what's been what's it been like to you know, come out here and, and to be, you know, involved in this, uh, this project that Mark started, you know, what, like 13 or 14 years ago. I mean, again, and we've talked about this a little bit history for myself. I mean, when I was here, I was lonesome and by myself. And now it's like we got all these writers and all sorts of things going on. But how has it kind of like helped you figure out what you wanted to do and, and change you? Just start. I mean, Mark's a true American original. I, I don't have to tell you he's uh it's quite a fascinating man. But for me, I, it's been good just to have the time and that studio space to do what I need to do. But I, from 2003 to 2012, I had previously been an artist in residence at the Collingwood Arts Center in Toledo, Ohio. So to commit myself to these projects and to have that sort of time is um, nothing new. Mm -hmm. But the particular environment is always different. So that's new. Because I've been lucky. I've been an artist in residence, uh, not only in Ohio, here in Bell. I've been in uh, in Taos, New Mexico, and uh, in Florissant, uh, Missouri as well, at Paul Art Space. But is this the only place that you are the, the poet laureate of? Uh, yes, yes, yes. I am the, <clears throat> I am the current uh, sitting poet laureate. In fact, the first poet laureate of Bell, Missouri, um, and from... The beginning of 2017 until the end of next year. And what? How did that even come about? Because again, you know, like again, we've talked about how this this place has even changed since I've been here. But how did? How has it been? Kind of interacting with the the, the people from here. Ah, uh, well, I love the people from Bell. The people from Bell are wonderful. Um, that came about because Mark had a discussion with the mayor as to the importance of the city having a poet laureate at all as a uh, point of pride. And then, you know, they put out a search for who would be the right person, who could do this job. And Mark had talked to me about it. And then it just came down to the end that the selection committee voted for me. So 
Um, I, as a result, I am Bell's first, first poet laureate, and we've we're working on a liter an annual literary publication that will be print that will be out in September called the Gasconade Review. Mm-hmm. Um, we are putting together a contest that will select a manuscript from a lucky Missouri resident, and then that book will be printed by um, Spartan Press. You know, it's uh, there's a lot to do. Since I've been here, we've also opened a used bookstore, Barb's Books. So more more and more projects, and I hope we come up with even more of them. So Probably doesn't leave any day to be super dull then. You know, you've got so many things going on and things to balance. and um, You know, sometimes it's definitely exhausting with everything going on, but it's never boring. Yeah, yeah. Well, all right. Uh, is there anything that that we haven't uh, highlighted that you would like to, to highlight? Um, well, the only thing I guess I would say is that um, the film that is going to be shooting here, they will start um, June 11th. And so that film, it will be screened here in spring of 2018 just for the local people. Um, now, I don't know what that means for an overall release because that won't be an official premiere, but people in Bell will get to see it next spring. That's awesome. Again, for me, I can imagine, I don't know, if I, if I had anything filmed uh, in a place that you know I lived in especially, I'd probably be hooting and fist pumping at, at the theater when I see it. You know, It's got to be really cool. And I don't, honestly, I don't know where we're going to show it. I, um, and, you know, as far as I know, I will still be living in Bell then. But even if I'm not, I will be here. I will be here. All right. Well, again, thanks, uh, thanks for letting me uh, pick your brain. Oh, no problem. Thanks once again to John Dorsey for joining me. If you'd like to find out more information about John, you can follow him on Facebook where he shares all the things that are going on in his life. You can also find his work available through Tangerine Press. And I would be remiss if I didn't also thank Mark McLean, the director of Osage Arts Community. Thanks for having me back and having this wonderful opportunity for artists to come out and be part of Osage Arts Community. Again, if you are a visual artist or composer or writer, you can apply to be a resident at Osage Arts Community. Again, click that link and find out more information. Again, Osage Arts Community provides working spaces for the artists as well as living quarters and food. So again, it's a wonderful community and there's always something going on and it's been expanding. And again, I feel really grateful to be a part of it. And again, check it out, Osage Arts Community. I'd also like to invite visual artists to apply for Studio Break's 2017 Pro Competition. Once again, this year, our juror is going to be Bill Conger, who is the curator at Heartbreaker in Peoria, Illinois. He'll be selecting three artists to appear on Studio Break, as well as one artist for a solo exhibition at Heartbreaker in the upcoming year. Once again, I will also be doing a video podcast with that artist, so it's kind of a unique prize. Again, it's quite simple. To apply, you send 10 images and an artist statement or an email with your website that includes all that information in a small application fee. Once again, you can go to studiobreak.com, look on the left sidebar, and you'll find our competition link. And again, it's a very easy process. I'd be in your debt if you... Spread the word and share it with all your artist friends. Let them know to apply for Studio Break's pro competition. And opening this coming Friday, July 28th at Heartbreaker, Night Things, an exhibition featuring work by Jenny Hansen, Brandon Sisko, and Rudolf Stingle. 
And again, that opens at 6 p.m. in Peoria, Illinois. And of course, we wish Bill Conger a very happy 50th birthday. If you are now new to Studio Break and you want more, again, we have plenty of podcasts available on studiobreak.com. Again, each of our interviews features work by the artists as well as links to their websites and all sorts of good stuff. We've got a big archive, but if you don't want to root through it, you can easily follow that link to our iTunes store and subscribe to the podcast there. Again, if you like the podcast, please leave us some feedback, as it always helps out a little bit with visibility. And, of course, you can also help us by sharing the word on whatever social media platform you prefer. So, once again, you can also follow us on Facebook. Please like our page. You can follow our Twitter account. That's at Studio Break. And very brand-spaking new is our Instagram account. Again, go there and follow us at studio underscore break. Let me take a second to thank Skylar Mail, who provides the music to Studio Break. You can check out his artwork at SkylarMail.net. Of course, if you'd like to see some of my paintings, you can visit davidlinoy.com and see some of them there. You can also follow me on Instagram and Twitter at davidlinoy. All right, I hope you enjoyed today's episode with John Dorsey. We'll talk to you real soon.